0: Welcome to the Future is Healthy podcast, where we have in-depth conversations with experts to help navigate wellness and empower all of us to make feasible changes to a healthier life and healthier world. In today's conversation, we spoke with Professor Howard Milkey, who is a research professor in the Department of Pharmacology at Tulane University. His research focuses on environmental signaling and human health. In recognizing the increasing importance of people living in cities, he has been researching and evaluating the status of the urban environment and its chemical impact on human health and disease. Today, we focused a lot on lead. I was surprised to find how prevalent it is in our environment. It's in places I would have never guessed. He talks about the impact lead has on our health, especially on our brain. It can affect our prefrontal cortex, the part of our brain that makes us the most human and have self-control. We talk about lead in the soil, soil health, and the importance of protecting the environment. Professor Milky has done amazing work, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Now, on to the podcast. Hi, Professor Milky. Welcome to the Futures Healthy podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today and learn all about lead and all of your amazing work that you've been doing.
1: Well, I hope I don't disappoint you in all about lead, but we'll get a start on it.
0: Perfect. I know I won't be disappointed. <laughs> so I would love to just start off with a little bit of your background. Um, how did you get involved in environmental health?
1: I have sort of a security route to get into environmental health. Um, it really started with um, I taught at UCLA for a while, and my I used my students to get some information about how much lead was being put into the environment through their activities of going to class. UCLA is a commuter um, university. Uh, Very few people really live on campus. So my students were, were driving back and forth between their home or some other place to UCLA. And I wanted to find out how much driving they were doing, so the first day of class, I had I, I had them fill out a little form, and they um, told me the number of miles they were driving to get to class, and then um, I took the mileage that they gave me and added it up, and then using standard figures on miles per gallon and how much lead was in gasoline, it became very clear that there was a very large amount of lead being contributed to the environment from their participation in the class. And that was shocking to me. And um, so starting there, um, I got a handle on Los Angeles and the tremendous numbers of miles people were driving and the problem that we were having with lead, lead and gasoline. Um, it turned out that the class is about a thousand pounds of lead for a single class and over a semester. And when you multiply it by the university, it turns out you come up with big numbers. So after that, uh, I moved to Baltimore and um, taught at, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and I followed up with what I'd learned from the students in UCLA with a lead project, um, a, a garden lead project. And my students in Baltimore collected samples from gardens throughout the entire metropolitan area. Again, commuter university, so I had the opportunity to get samples from all over metropolitan. Baltimore. And then I got in touch with some people at the US Department of Agriculture and I wanted to measure the amount of lead in the soil. And it turned out that that was not easy to do uh, because the techniques that had been developed uh, were for agricultural soils, which usually don't have a lot of lead in them, And when you started applying the same techniques to urban soil, what we were seeing in the bottom of the test tube was a precipitate, a white precipitate. And we started realizing that was lead chloride, which is a uh, insoluble precipitate ending up at the bottom of the tube. So we had no idea how much lead was actually in the soil until we changed the technique. And we developed a technique with um, my uh, colleague at the US Department of Agriculture was Rufus Cheney. And he, uh, Rufus Cheney and I pro- developed a method called the cheney Milky um, extraction method. That was in the 1970s, early or mid 1970s. So um, I uh, put together a uh, project in Baltimore, where we had the the soil samples, and with the student, with cooperation with the students, we ended up getting um, an immense number of samples from all over the metropolitan area, as I said before, and we mapped these out, and what we discovered was that the interior of the city had enormous amounts of lead in it. Now, the interesting fact about Baltimore is that Baltimore is a brick city building. We didn't expect to see a lot of lead in the interior of the city simply because the, the notion was that all the lead was coming from lead-based paint. But in fact, what we were seeing was high lead levels in the interior of the city. And then when we looked at the outlying areas of the city where the painted buildings were located, we found low lead, and it was the opposite of what you would expect to see—a city with brick buildings with very uh, low amounts of lead. Oh, I'm sorry, very high lead, and then outside, low lead, and it was the opposite, you know, and just the opposite. They said. So, uh, about the same time we were doing that, there was a publication in Environmental Health Perspectives, and the publication basically said all the lead. In soil was coming from lead based paint. Well, that wasn't true. We knew that wasn't true. In fact, it was very concentrated within the interior of the city. Then, after Baltimore, I went, I'm a native of Minnesota, went back to Minnesota. And in Minnesota, I redid the same kind of study, except not with, with garden soils, but just general soils throughout the city and what we saw in Minnesota was exactly the same as we saw in Baltimore. Very high lead towards the interior of the city and lower lead towards the outside of the city. And by that time we were starting to realize that in addition to lead in paint, there was another source of lead and it was um, automobile. The lead in gasoline was creating a major problem to the cities and where the congestion traffic was high we were seeing large amounts of lead in the soil. And where the congestion was low, we were seeing low amounts of lead in the soil. So, from that point, we also started looking at different sized cities. Large cities had a large amount of lead, and the small cities had very small amounts of lead. And that contrast um, was supported the idea that lead and gasoline was contributing to very large amounts of lead in the environment. And about the same time, a scientist by the name of Claire Patterson um, wrote in the National Academy of Sciences that sometime in the near future will probably be shown that older uh, U.S. cities had, were more or less contaminated with excessive amounts of lead in them and that children were the most vulnerable. So I started working with the health department in Minnesota and we put together a um, a whole plan on uh, looking at blood lead of children in the city and the amount of lead in the soil. And then we started realizing that it really had an impact. And the I was spurred on by the fact that my my own daughter, had very high lead levels when she was very young, and um, it just serendipity that I I learned about her blood lead levels, and um, that led I ended up with enormous concern about children in the city. If my own uh, daughter was getting excessively exposed, what about other children? And then we started we formed an organization called the uh, Minnesota Lead-Free lead Kids, Minnesota Lead-Free Kids Project. And got, um, it, I managed to, I, there were some newspaper articles and pretty soon people started realizing that lead and gasoline was creating big problems in the city and politicians got involved and the le- Minnesota legislature got involved. So um, my involvement then was you know, step by step. First of all, realizing there was a lot of lead in the environment, in the soil, and then coming to realize that it had enormous impact on children's exposure. And um, the Minnesota project uh, ultimately resulted in the legislature trying to ban lead and gasoline. And they couldn't do it. It was against the law. So the, the state of Minnesota said, wait, we want to protect our children. And we've discovered that the highest, the largest amount of lead coming into the environment was from the use of lead in gasoline, not the small companies that were exhausting you know, lead into the environment, but the larger issue was the automobile with leaded gasoline. And so they tried to ban, they couldn't. So the legislature petitioned the Senate and the Congress to ban lead and gasoline and EPA. And uh, the state of Minnesota invited me to make the case for banning lead and gasoline, not only for Minnesota, but for the country. And there was already in place the idea of taking lead out of gasoline, with, by 1996. But we were tested. I was testifying before the Senate in 1984, and so that was 10 years ahead of what the EPA was going to do. And the Senate uh, finally went along with with the idea of taking lead, getting lead out of gasoline. And there was a rapid reduction then that's um, occurred beginning in 1986, January 1st, 1986. And that um, was the beginning of a very rapid decrease in the amount of lead in gasoline and in the air and in children's blood lead. So that's my longer answer. Wow,
0: that's fascinating. First of all, thank you so much for the work you're doing.
1: You know, I'm doing it because it had to be done. And I'm doing it uh, not just for myself, but for the children, for my own child to begin with, but for the children, you know, and it it just had to be done. I mean, once I realized what was taking place, uh, it was clear that I was just doing what needed to be done. And that became a mission. Every time you filled up, there was a little sign on on every pump that said uh, contains leaded gasoline. Um, the 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 gasoline was leaded, and um, there are still pictures you can find that 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 every pump had had those uh, signs on them. It was a lot of lead per gallon, about two grams per gallon, and. It, you know, two grams, what does that mean to you? Well, every gram is basically 1 million micrograms. And what we're concerned about is, uh, in terms of blood lead right now, uh, the reference value is five micrograms. And now we realize that that's way too much. Um, Other research has shown that Less than one microgram is causing health problems. So here we have a situation where um, every gallon of gasoline being consumed was releasing uh, around 2 million micrograms of lead into the air. And unfortunately, these were very small particles. And for children breathing, um, the the, uh, tiniest of the particles go right into the bloodstream uh, as a result of just inhalation, and when we took lead out of gasoline, there was a rapid reduction that, that, that occurred in blood lead, children's blood lead at the time. So, um, I it I think it was it should have been known, but you know people got used to having leaded gasoline. You know. Ethyl Corporation didn't even talk about it being leaded. They just said it was Ethyl, Ethyl gasoline, and their advertising was, you know, that if you have this kind of gasoline, your car will run better and all sorts of things, which is true. It was true. I mean, it was knocking was the problem, but you didn't have to use lead as an anti-knocking agent. They, um, ethanol would have been just as good but uh, it had to do with profits.
0: It always has to do with profits. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and so um, could you outline for me and for our listeners, what does lead do to our health?
1: Well, the starting point is that basically lead takes the place of calcium. And if you know anything about metabolism, you'll come to realize that calcium is extraordinarily important in every cell in your body. And if you have, if lead is in the place of calcium among the other effects that it has is that it uh, gets involved in signaling within the nerve cells. And what happens is that if lead is in the place of calcium, then the the neurons, there's inability to pass signals uh, across the synapse, And uh, what it means is that uh, when you have lead in the nervous system and in the brain, you end up with a reduction in the signaling and ultimately uh, killing off cells in the brain. So lead is damaging the brain to start with. But it's damaging every cell in the body that has uh, that calcium. Is part of the metabolism, and it's every cell, and so organ systems are seriously damaged by by lead. And there are, you know, we have nervous our our nervous system includes, for example, um, the heart has has a mechanism of. Um, for the pulse of the heart. Well, if lead is in the place of um, calcium, then that's also affected. And heart damage is really very important. Kidney damage is important. Um, Lead causes, um, basically uh, creates a situation where the kidney starts to fail And that is a very costly type of uh, failure uh, for our medical system. So um, there are multiple ways in which lead is causing problems simply because it's uh, initially uh, affecting calcium, taking the place of calcium.
0: Yeah, so before our kidneys start to fail, which seems uh, like kind of the end of the line drastic, um, what are some of the initial symptoms that we could feel? Is there like fatigue or what do people usually get initially?
1: I, I'm not quite sure. Probably all of them. And ultimately, you know, you have dialysis to get to, to improve or just to remove the, the buildup of the metabolites that are in the blood system and, you know, that are causing toxic problems. So, it, you know, the kidney would be very important. Yes.
0: I read an interesting article on the Mother Jones uh, yeah. website yeah. in which you were quoted, and they talked about how violence and teen pregnancies are associated with high lead levels. Why do we expect to see these trends, and why does that happen?
1: Um, well, I, I, again, I, I would go back to lead taking the place of calcium in the prefrontal cortex is particularly sensitive to uh, exposure from lead. And prefrontal cortex turns out to be um, part of our behavior is, is directed by prefrontal cortex. Um, the ability to um, direct your behavior to in a self protective way um, I'm not sure i explaining that very well, but ultimately, uh, prefrontal cortex is what makes us the most human. And when that part of the brain is being affected, then learning problems show up, behavioral problems show up, um, the, just the lack of self-control becomes part of it, an issue for children. And it turns out that it actually starts in the womb, uh, pre prenatal. If if the mother has been exposed to lead in her childhood, the bones, lead ends up being going because it follows calcium, ends up in the bones, and when the the uh, mother is in the fetal development during fetal development, if the mother um, need if the need is a need for more calcium, it comes from the bones. And um, that's direct. It doesn't um, you come, can, you can take calcium supplements, but the source of the calcium for the fetus is the bones. And that creates at the beginning of some problems for the developing fetus that uh, after birth can continue. And so that's pretty well known.
0: Um, it was also stated after that that criminologists may not have even read that paper <laughs> that you published in 2012 about societal violence. Um, so, what's the status of lead exposure awareness in the USA today, and what other hurdles do we face?
1: Well, yeah, the, that our research isn't very well known is a, certainly a big hurdle, and you know, certainly the Mother, Mother Jones article has, was was very helpful. And other people have seen the same thing, but um, science has not been the strong card for our education system and certainly for the population. Um, there are a lot of people who um, challenge you know, uh, science and uh, that is a hurdle on um, very important issues including certainly lead, um, carbon dioxide, um, uh, climate change. I mean, these all start coming together in, in many ways. I mean, climate change is related to the amount of fossil fuels that were consumed, and the fossil fuel consumption is related to the automobile. And it goes back to a whole series of events that have occurred, we the highway development, the amount of Uh, driving being done, flying being done. I mean, now we have billionaires taking off, um, going up 63 miles into the atmosphere with that enormous fossil fuel consumption. And um, we're just not putting this together in a holistic way as a society. And that's becomes really serious problem. To, to the development of, of our society.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I mean, like I said before, you're, you've you been very resilient and you've, you've stayed true to the cause. And uh, what kind of advice do you have in trying to make change at the national level? It seems that it takes a while, but it can happen.
1: Well, I'm particularly pleased to see that the younger generation uh, your generation, the students I have at uh, Tulane University School of Medicine, have become very active in um, considering issues that have been sort of shrugged off, um, and now turn out to be the core issues of what is going to what what our our planet is going to be like. In the future, and and it's coming upon us very quickly right now, and so um, you know I think of uh, Greta, Thunberg and her work on uh, fossil fuels, and um, now I you know have uh, been able to uh, observe the changing attitude about soils and the, the whole idea that fundamental to all of us is high quality soils. You don't get high quality um, uh, food out of low quality soils. And so that's the, the food and agriculture issue is very important. And it's more than just lead, of course. There are, you know, We have major industries that are putting some very toxic substances onto huge amounts of land in the US, um, herbicides especially, but other pesticides as well. And those are killing soil. And um, we don't seem to have a good grasp of what's really fundamental to living on the planet for not only us, but for all organisms. And, you know, we have to find ways to. Uh, what you're doing is just critical. It's it's at the core of the kinds of possible changes that will take place in the future. You know, uh, younger, especially younger generation like yourself, and uh, you know other uh, individuals will take up on the idea that healthy soils. You know, human health is related to healthy soils. And you know we just have to find ways to get that word out and to change our behavior. Uh, we're still deforesting. You know deforestation is taking place right now. Uh, we're losing massive amount of forest in Siberia and certainly the west coast right now. Australia is seeing the same huge fires taking place as a result of climate change, and uh, we 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 don't have a good grasp on how to move forward and it's gonna be young people like yourself who are gonna help that project and process forward. And um, when I was younger, I I worked on one small little part of changing um, the um, behavior, taking lead out of gasoline that had a, a global impact and I, you know, was I'm humbled by the kinds of changes that are actually kept taking place, and what it means to uh, the new generation. But um, it's a very small contribution to some very large problems.
0: I know that we haven't gotten rid of all of the lead exposure that we have today. Oh. So where are the major sources of lead exposure and what's the status of that in the United States today?
1: Well, one of the major sources of airborne lead is the use of lead in gasoline. Of all things, it continues. Tetraethyl lead being used. in um, gasoline that is uh, uh, being used, it, it's called avgas, aviation gas. And this is gas that is used uh, by, for small planes. And um, they, it contains about, two point, I think it's 2.1 grams per gallon. And it turns out when, when the EPA looked at this, it, well, 60% of air pollution was coming from the use of, of tetraethyl lead in avgas. And the, to me, the, the bigger problem is not only that it's in avgas, and we recognize that children who are living near general aviation with small planes; these are planes with reciprocal engines, uh, distant engines. Now, not with it's not jets; it's not turbo props. Um, and and it's about sixty percent of lead aerosols are from that single source alone throughout the country. Now. Um that's a problem in its own right. but then it turns out that the the uh, petroleum industry managed to uh, get some changes, and I don't know how they did this, but they have an allowable amount of lead and unleaded gasoline. And that's because the same pipelines are being used to move okay gas as, in uh, uh, and mold gas or motor gasoline, and they have an allowable amount because they don't want um, people, uh, gasoline companies to be docked because they have too much lead in the unleaded gasoline. And I don't, nobody's following them. I cannot get data on how much lead is actually in unleaded gasoline. It could be quite a bit. Um, <clears throat> The past use of lead in gasoline was huge. And the force of the West uh, ended up getting um, contaminated by lead. When they're burning, there's smoke that now contains more lead than, than you would ever imagine. And uh, I suspect that that's going to contribute to some increases in blood lead levels across the country. Um, It may seem, it's not small. I mean, these are massive fires. They spotted the same thing in Australia, that blood lead levels went up or air lead went up. I don't know if they looked at blood lead, but if air lead goes up, blood lead is gonna go up just because of of inhalation. Um, Other sources, uh, the one that really concerns me is the amount of lead that's being used uh, in uh, ammunition and in guns. And that's huge. Uh, uh, you read the article about um, the amount of, I think you were telling me that you read the article about um, the amount of lead just from the smoke. Uh, primers and lead a bullet going through down the barrel. Well, it turns out that that smoke is really high in lead. And it gets on people's clothing. When they go home, they're spreading the lead in in the home. And um, children would get exposed by that. Uh, There's something on the order of 25 million people who regularly shoot guns. so. So it turns out that the amount of lead that they're um, uh, purchasing is in the form of bullets, uh, it's about 80,000 tons per year. It's a very large quantity. And um, the types of bullets that, that are being sold are hollow points. They, they, they shatter when they hit blood on, on flesh. For the medical community, it's a disaster surgeons can't take out those fragments. Well, the fragments then end up in the body and they get dissolved. The body's trying to get rid of the lead and it goes. the blood level levels go up if the person's been um, involved in any kind of um, being shot. And there's an awful lot of, of uh, people being shot right now. I think that that source of lead um, has Is just overwhelming us, and we, you know, it's it's a issue that's turns out to be an awful issue to try to solve in the in the U.S. Supposedly, uh, there's a constitutional, um, you know, there's a Second Amendment that's uh, operates to uh, allow this to, to happen and there doesn't seem to be any counter part. I've been held up by guns uh, and and I started to realize I had no first right amendments when somebody was had a gun to my head. Um, what am I gonna say? What am I gonna do to protect myself uh, for my first amendment rights? It, makes no difference. and and This is a conflict in our society and it's a needless one. Not every country has the same problem. In fact, we're kind of all by ourselves in terms of the number of guns that people own. So that would be another aspect of, we've got to figure out how to um, maintain our own stability. Uh, We're using, I said, hollow point, bullets. Well, hollow point bullets are not allowed in the battlefield in the military use. And here we have them, you can go buy them um, easily. And um, that it doesn't make any sense to me. And it's 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 a underlying issue that's creating a lot of problem both in terms of pollution of the environment, uh, hunters, and um, some places, you know, Louisiana, you can't use leaded shot when you're in a um, shooting uh, waterfall. Anytime there's water around, they use bismuth in the place of lead shot. But um, that's not universal. Um, and it, um, I I will be going to a conference on a raptor conference in which basically birds of prey are getting lead exposed because of all the shot that that has accumulated excuse me <clears throat> all the shot is accumulated in the environment and um, you know this is something that has to be dealt with um there are a lot of uh, other sources of lead uh, showing up in plastics and showing up in owls. Oh, landfills and and, you know the recycling of batteries is okay but it's not great there's a small percentage of lead from batteries ends up being a a large tonnage of lead that ends up back in the environment in some way.
0: Wow I I didn't realize that about um, bullets and I didn't realize that they used it for hunting as well. All the time
1: Mm. yeah and I, I you know I think that uh, we don't have control over the use of lead at all. Um, as a result, of, you know, of, of the amazing amount of ammunition that is being sold just for fun. And and when we were doing that research, we started realizing that there were, you know, very young children that were also at the shooting ranges shooting these guns. Well, they're you know, the smoke is going to be a problem to him, a big problem. And I I, um, I worry a lot about that. Yeah. And, you know, all the way through, I mean, to the medical, you know, the surgeons I talk with, my God, they don't know what to do uh, with the fragments. Um, the hollow points are breaking apart. And it's, you know, they, they realize that it more, pro, more, more, uh, Problems are related to the surgery if they try to get some of the fragments out just because it's a vital part of the body.
0: Yeah. And I realize that there's a lot of people who um, hunt. And I was wondering if you change out the bullets for the bismuth ones that you were talking about, do you still get lead exposure from the smoke that's coming out or is it only with hollow points?
1: No. um, It depends on the primer and if they They took lead out of primer. Um, When NATO realized that there was a problem for their soldiers back in the 1960s, they went to unleaded bullets and unleaded primers. Primer is what uh, starts the firing of the gunpowder. And so the NATO standard, if you look it up on the, the website, you'll discover that NATO um, bullets are readily available. They cost a little more. Um, That probably wouldn't even be the case if everybody bought them, it's just a matter of the volume. But um, there is a NATO standard and uh, the NATO standard is no unleaded and they don't wanna have the battlefields full of lead, uh, shrapnel. They don't want to, uh, you know. They're they're making bullets that supposedly don't create the kind of damage uh, when when they hit flash. Although some of the new uh, high-powered AK-47s, the bullets tumble and so they they blow up when they hit hit flash. So, huh. But that's it's just a, a terribly concerning and a big problem to to our society, to our civil society. And some other countries have resolved it. In Australia, they just banned all, all these, all the use of, of guns and, and, and got rid of them. because they, they had one incident mass shootings that took care of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the government did something. I mean, I've been doing a, uh, just looking at the difference between Norway and the US in the number of guns that are um, in the hands of citizens in the United States, it's something like 125 weapons per 100 people. And that's phenomenal. In Norway, it's something like 25 per 100 people. And then you look at the the homicide rates of the two places and it's crazy. And um, I've been you know, giving lectures on that topic because I've been interested in the international aspects of it. Well, plastics are often, it's too much lead and there's still ways in which children can get into lead without realizing it. And certainly the contamination of the soil in the city is a very important issue. And it's one that can be easily dealt with. It's not costly to landscape, um, it, it can be simple landscaping. It doesn't take a lot of clean soil on the surface of contaminated soil to change the environment. And uh, example in in New Orleans, uh, we have ba- available to us um, extraordinary amounts of uh, river sediment that's coming through the city as a result of the Mississippi River, and that sediment contains around, oh, five to 20 parts per million lead, Um, that's the range. And the median was something like less than 10 um, parts per million lead. Well, you put that soil, even a small coating, say a couple of inches on a soil that contains 700 parts per million, very rapidly you can change the, the surface children play on the surface of the soil. So they're not, they won't be picking up a lot of lead. And even if it gets mixed, uh, it's gonna be a much lower number. And so um, there there are wonderful projects taking place in uh, Philadelphia, New York City, uh, New Orleans has done it, in some playgrounds where they've actually brought in clean soil and changed the, the possibility of exposure. And we did projects on about 30 um, childcare centers in which uh, we basically changed the quality of the, the play areas for the childcare centers. And in the interior of the city, it makes a huge difference in the kind of exposure. Once you have lead in the soil, the, the, the uh, lead can be tracked in to the house if you don't take your shoes off. Um, it can be airborne, uh, just the wind blowing. The uh, um, there, um, there's the direct hand-to-mouth activity responsible for a child. So you have all of those, and mm-hmm. and they can be very easily uh, changed and eliminated.
0: I think that's a very optimistic. Um viewpoint is that we have a lot of this lead exposure, all of these things that you're talking about is a little bit scary, but the fact that even if you put a little bit of topsoil layer for very cheap, while you're working behind the scenes, changing the world with lead exposure, um, people can still do stuff to uh, protect themselves from as much lead exposure, which is, is great to hear. Are there any other recommendations that you have to minimize lead exposure? And then also if you feel like you have been exposed to lead or you find you have high levels of lead in your blood, is there any way to detox or to get rid of that lead in the blood?
1: Uh, Detox would take place normally, um, just if you can stop the exposure. I mean, the whole thing is preventing exposure in the first place or curtailing the exposure. So when I'm talking about you know lead you know lead in bullets or guns if we could curtail that and it's you know huge tonnages taking place if we could curtail the avgas um, those steps would make a big difference to uh, how much lead is in the environment and there are some wonderful i've told you about projects um there's a, a group in new york city it's uh, they've put out a and uh, they call it the New York Gardener's Guide, and it's the New York Restoration Project. Um, we have to move beyond just thinking about the paint as a problem. Paint is a problem, I'm not saying it isn't a problem. If you sand your paint, you're going to have lead poisoning, and their children are going to have lead poisoning, and the, they, you know, if you have a dog that will be lead, the dog will be lead poisoned. It will probably be the veterinarian will say, the dog's been lead poisoned. What about your children? You know, it it will be that kind of issue. Um, Don't sand paint, just paint over. Um, It doesn't, there's no reason to try to get rid of the lead that you already have uh, on the the walls. The the important thing is to have another coat of paint on top of it and public health, hasn't been very helpful in that message. Um, The tendency is to just talk about the lead-based paint and what people then think that they need to do is get rid of the lead-based paint. And then the course of getting rid of the less lead-based paint is when they have a lead problem. And um, so we we need to figure out how to behave, work towards Resolving exposure problems through very fine particles of lead that you know have accumulated in the environment and and can accumulate as a result of having lead-based paint. I I live in a house that was built in the eighteen forties, and it's loaded with lead-based paint. But I don't. I also do lead wipes on my floors and make sure that. Um, the windows have been changed. I don't get lead from that. The, you know, it improved the, the insulation in the windows. You know, there are a lot of small things that make a big difference in how much lead you end up in the house.
0: Those are very good tips. Thank you. Um, and lastly, we ask all of our guests to finish the following sentence: The future is blank.
1: Well, the future is challenging. Um, and and it's challenging for all of the the reasons that you would come across if you were paying attention to environmental health. Uh, we have uh, carbon dioxide uh, rates are asymptotic right now. They're just um, going off the chart. I mean, every two years you look back at the CO two content of the atmosphere and you find out that it's um, double two years before. That's a horrendous epidemic that's taking place. Um, temperatures are rising, uh, ocean acid acids, you know, the ocean's becoming more acidic, uh, pH is going down, um, the sea, sea level is rising, uh, we have instability in the atmosphere where as a result of, for example, the melt-off of the Arctic, that we now have, that's very high. Used to be high pressure over the Arctic. Now it's low pressure. The high pressure is now over the continental areas, and that's changed the jet stream throughout the planet. And uh, we're we're facing that right now. That we have these crazy domes, high heat domes that are occurring, and it's uh, these are terrible problems. Um, So, I see some more challenges than I I care to admit uh, for the future generation, but I also see some very positive things. I see uh, youth protesting, uh, working, protesting the US on pipelines, uh, protesting uh, the um, extraction of gas, um, at, uh, I can't even think of the name of it, from the, from the ground. Um, the uh, positive things are that the youth are learning quickly about what the previous generations have brought upon us, brought upon our uh, population right now and the earth. And I see positive that uh, students like yourself in public health are actually paying attention. Um, I see positive uh, articles. Uh, I recently was uh, quoted by BBC, in an article which nobody will ever see, but it was BBC Mundo, which uh, was then an article that went to Latin America. It's in Spanish, and I'm hoping they'll, they'll translate it into English because I think it was a very good article. Um, I see uh, such things as the New York City Gardener's Guide, New York Gardener's Guide. And uh, I think those are all very encouraging. There's some other people in medicine who have taken on the cause. Um, in um, uh, Michigan, on the the uh, Flint, Michigan um, issue, there was a, a wonderful book by Mona Hanna, uh, what's her last, Atisha, and it um, she is an MD pediatrician and getting the word out in that way. And then there's a pediatrician working on improving green spaces within uh, inner cities, especially. And that's really important. And she has written a paper, she's an MD, written a paper describing the changes in mental health as a result of uh, changing the, the environment and the small areas that people can play in within the inner city. And I think that kind of you know, again, young person picking up on it and doing what can be done, and, and in her own way. Um, and it, I think it's been great. And I think medical stu- students have that opportunity to really make a difference.
0: Thank you. That was so, that was an amazing answer. Very inspiring. I really appreciate all of your time, Professor Milky, and all of the work that you've done.
1: Well, and thank you for doing what you're doing you, you know you're doing what needs to be done and that's that's great so um i, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, share a little bit of my experience with you on the pod, pod, this podcast
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Future is Healthy podcast. If you loved what you heard, subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts. And if you think someone you know can benefit from any of the info we talked about, share this with friends and family and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We don't rely on paid ads so that you can trust we have no conflict of interest in any of the information we provide or talk about in this podcast. If you support what we're doing, you can help us to continue putting out content by clicking the link to support the Future is Healthy podcast. This podcast is for general education purposes only. It is not a substitute for treatment, diagnoses, or professional medical advice. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or other qualified professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information from this podcast and any of the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. If you are seeking advice for any medical condition, it is important to seek the assistance from a qualified, trained, and licensed medical practitioner.